You're listening to a sermon from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas. Get to know Grace Church better by visiting our website at www.gracechurchfrisco.org. Today's speaker is Pastor Craig Cabanis. Well, good morning. It's great to be together. Uh, Thank you for joining us. And I particularly want to say thanks if you're not part of the Grace Church family, but you are uh, watching this morning or maybe later in the week. Uh, It's just, uh, it's really our joy to have you with us. And and we pray that these uh, services are an encouragement to you. And now as we go into the scripture, that this study of Daniel 10 will uh, help you in your faith or help you to find faith. Maybe you're on the journey and investigating uh, the Bible and faith. And uh, so particularly, we want to welcome you uh, this morning. Well, today we will be looking at Daniel 10, and I want to talk about the idea of the call to pray big. You know, it is easy to have wrong expectations about the Christian life. And if we're not careful, we can allow our culture to shape our expectations of following Jesus rather than allowing the Bible to shape our expectations of what it means to be a Christian. Think about our culture. If you're watching uh, from the Frisco area or surrounding communities, we live in a very prosperous community, don't we? I mean, as you look around, everybody is attractive. The houses are big. The cars are new. Uh, Families seem to have the perfect life. People have great jobs. They go on enviable vacations. And you look around and you think, this is the American dream. And the reality is that we can take that Frisco vision and put it over the call to discipleship and somehow assume that Jesus is to provide for us a problem-free and prosperous life. The problem with that is that the Bible teaches that following Jesus is a call to suffer, suffer for his namesake, that following Jesus is a call to battle. You know, frequently the illustration is used that being a disciple of Jesus is like being on board, uh, is not like being on board a cruise ship, but is like being on board a battleship. Following Jesus is like being on a battleship and not a cruise ship. Now, the coronavirus may have ruined that illustration because there is great danger and risk to being on a cruise ship, we found out as well. But you get the point. The point is, that the metaphor for the Christian life in the Bible is not that of vacationer, but rather is that of sailor at war, in a battle. And when you believe in Jesus Christ, you have signed on, you have registered for a daily lifelong battle. We battle against our flesh, which is our sinful nature. We battle against the idols of the world. And we battle against the dark spiritual forces that resist God's people. And it's this latter battle, the battle against spiritual forces, that we're going to read about in Daniel 10. This is a chapter about life and its nature of being in the people of God and life as spiritual conflict, or we could say spiritual Warfare. So we're going to read Daniel chapter 10. Uh, I'm going to read verses 1 through 9 and comment on those. Then we'll read the rest of the chapter and teach that section as well. So let's read together. Open up to Daniel 9 on your device or if you have a Bible with you. Uh, and this is God's holy word. 
In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belteshazzar, and the word was true, and it was a great conflict. And he understood the word, and he had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted up my eyes and looked. And behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Uphaz around his waist. His body was like beryl. His face was like the appearance of lightning. His eyes like flaming torches. His arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze. And the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision. For the men who were with me did not see the vision. But a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled to hide themselves. So I was left alone and saw this great vision, and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed, and I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words, and as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground. Well, first of all, uh, I want to set the context for uh, the vision that Daniel is having. Chapters 10 through 12 are the closing vision of the book of Daniel, and this first chapter is sort of the introduction, chapter 10, to that vision. Uh, He date stamps this passage telling us that it was in the third year, verse 1, of Cyrus, king of Persia. In other words, he's saying these were discouraging times. How do we know that? Well, it was during the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the people of uh, God were released from exile to return back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. Uh, You can read about this elsewhere in the Old Testament. And, And it was a wonderful time. After seven years of the Babylonian captivity, the people of God are freed in the first year of Cyrus to go back and rebuild the temple. So there's great fanfare. People move back and the honeymoon doesn't last very long. They start the project and they only get the altar built. For you see, they immediately have conflict. They immediately experience resistance from their opponents. And so because of the intense persecution that they experience and because the reality that they need to build homes and get established and start farming, etc., they drop the project. And so by the third year when Daniel has this vision, the the, the hope has been dashed. The, The dream has been shelved and God's people are beaten down in a sense. Not only God's people in Jerusalem, but people who stayed back in Babylon that were cheering them on and and looking forward to the reestablishment of God's kingdom in Jerusalem. They are down as well. Uh, And and this is why Daniel calls this vision a great conflict in verse 1. Well, in these discouraging times, Daniel gets a surprising visitor. He is mourning his people 
he is fasting, uh, sort of a type of fasting in verse 3. That's the context of the visitor. He, he says that he is eating no delicacies, no meat or wine entered his mouth. Uh, and he is in a sense of mourning. Now we're going to realize uh, in the second half of the chapter that he's praying because this angelic being tells him that you, we've heard your words, I heard your words. And so he is, he's praying, he's fasting, he's denying himself uh, during this difficult time. He's on the bank of, a tig- of the Tigris River and what appears to be a man, maybe a priest at first we think, appears to him for he's wearing, he's clothed in linen, which would be the garb of a priest. But we very quickly realize this is not a normal man. This is a, a, an angelic being. Look at verse 6. It tells us that his eyes were like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words Uh, like the sound of a multitude. So his voice is overwhelming. And he has these characteristics that reflect the glory of God, the holiness of God. You know, a face like lightning, uh, bright and shiny, torches for his eyes. So he is, he is this, uh, this, this angelic messenger sort of a figure. And Daniel is just overwhelmed by the whole experience. He crumples down and he falls uh, into a deep sleep, he says, with his face in the ground. So we have the discouraging times, we have this surprising visitor, and let's go ahead and read the rest of the chapter and see why this messenger has showed up to Daniel. Verse 10, And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling upon my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright. For now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken his word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard. And I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief priests, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia, and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision is for days yet to come. When he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground and was mute. And behold, one in the likeness of the children of man touched my lips." Then I opened my mouth and spoke. I said to him who stood before me, O my Lord, by reason of the vision, pains have come upon me and I retain no strength. How can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord? For now no strength remains in me and no breath is left in me. Again, one having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, O man greatly loved, fear not, peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, Let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Then he said, Do you know why I have come to you? But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side against these except Michael, your prince." So he's about to tell him the vision, but this entire chapter is a setup for the vision. And I think there's, some, some, uh, there's a message of encouragement for us here because this messenger brings encouragement 
to Daniel. Uh, he says that he has come because of your words. That is, God has heard the prayer, has seen the fasting, heard the mourning of Daniel, and is responding, addressing him as one, verse 11, who is greatly loved. I think the first encouragement from this section is that God hears and responds to prayer. God hears and responds to prayer. He tells him, since the first day that you prayed, you have been heard. So note this, Daniel doesn't know what's going on. He's praying and fasting, mourning for three weeks. But they, the angel tells him, you've been heard from your first prayer. Now, obviously, none of us are Daniel. None of us are getting visions of salvation history that predict what's going to happen in the nations uh, in the future or anything like that. So we don't have the same role as Daniel. And yet throughout the Bible, we receive the same promise that when we pray, God hears and God responds. I mean, Jesus taught, ask and you will receive. The Bible says, you do, James says, you do not have because you do not ask. And later in the same book, he talks about the prayer of a righteous person is effective. And so we see throughout the Bible that God hears, and that is something that is to fuel our prayer, knowing that he hears and responds. I mean, how would your daily prayer life be different if you were convinced that God hears and responds? What if that was your expectation of prayer? How would you respond differently if the expectation was God is hearing and God will respond? What would you pray for? How would your prayers be different? How often would you pray if that was the motivation for prayer? Encountering God, experiencing God, and knowing that he hears you and responds. I don't know if you read in this past week, there was a story about a family that went out for a casual drive. They were in Virginia, and here was their expectation. Uh, they had been cooped up, as we all have during the coronavirus, and so they just said, let's go for a family drive. Just get out and go for a drive. So your expectation in that context is, you know, we'll see something, get some fresh air maybe, and see something new besides these four walls uh, that we see all day, every day. And so as they're driving, they happen upon uh, this bag of trash in the road. The vehicle in front of them swerved to miss it, and, you know, I don't know, I suppose they were thinking, let's get this out out of the road so it doesn't cause an accident with someone swerving and perhaps hitting someone else. So they, they, they stop, they put the bag in the back of the truck. They just say, we'll, we'll toss the trash when we get home, being a good citizen. But they also look over and notice in the ditch there's another bag, so they put that bag in their truck as well and return home. When they get home and they're going to throw it away, they sort of look at it and it looks like there's envelopes inside. And they're wondering if it's mail, and so they open it up and it's not mail, it's cash. And between the two bags, there is a million dollars in cash. And so the reality is that what started to be a casual drive to get out of the house for the family to, you know, sort of change their location turned into getting a million dollars in cash. They didn't keep it, but you, you get it. They happened upon a million dollars. And I was thinking about what, how would that drive have differed if their expectation was to find a million dollars in the middle of the road? I mean, it wouldn't have just been sort of casual, like let's go for a drive and get some fresh air. It would have been, let's get there. If someone told them there's a million dollars cash at this location, 
you'd rush to get it because why? Because you'd drive to, to be able to grab the money. And I thought, you know, that's similar to how our expectations are about prayer. How would their drive have differed if they knew where the bags were and they knew what was in them? Would anything have distracted them? Could they have possibly said, oh, I'm just too busy to go for a drive right now if they knew a million dollars cash awaited them? And so would we be distracted and too busy if we knew what awaits us is the Lord God Almighty who hears and responds to our prayers. And the New Testament tells us that in a number of verses, but it's demonstrated in a powerful way through an angelic vision here with Daniel. Well, here's the second encouragement. Not only does God hear and respond to prayer, but earthly prayer affects the heavenly realm or the spiritual realm. When I say heavenly, I'm not just talking about like the abode of God, but the spiritual plane. If there's an earthly plane and a sort of spiritual plane, a visible and an invisible world, then earthly prayer affects the heavenly realm. The messenger explains to Daniel that his prayer was heard from the beginning, uh, but and he was going to come to Daniel to tell him this vision of what's going to happen to the people of God, but he is detained by the prince of Persia. He says that for 21 days, he is resisted by the prince of Persia. Verse 13, the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. So who is this? Well, the prince of Persia is also an angelic being uh, on the wrong team. He's uh, an evil being and a dark being the prince of Persia. Well, how do we know that? Well, first of all, he's not a human because a human wouldn't detain a spiritual angelic messenger for 21 days. That doesn't happen. That's impossible. But secondly, the messenger reports that Michael rescues him. He says, but Michael, one of the chief princes came to help me for I was there with the kings of Persia. So he's saying that I was helped by another being, one of the chief princes. So Michael, who's an angel, Michael is referred to with the same language as the prince of Persia. They're both princes. What does that mean? They're both and, uh, spiritual angelic beings, one demonic, one angelic, um, that are encountering a conflict together. So if we step back, we see there's something really amazing here. Daniel begins grieving over his people. He's praying, he's fasting. Uh, and then this angel is sent to, verse 14 says, make sure you understand what is to happen to your people. But he is withstood by a dark spiritual power for 21 days. Do you see what this is communicating? That, that the very nature of prayer is conflict. Prayer is battle. Prayer is warfare. When we see things on the ground level and we intercede, for those who suffer, for the difficulties of life, there is not only a ground-level war, but there is an air war, an invisible war, a spiritual battle that occurs. When we engage God in prayer, we engage spiritual powers, or spiritual powers are engaged through our prayers. Prayer is way more significant than we know. Sometimes we're casual with prayer that it's just sort of, you know, let me like say, forgive me for that one sin and thank God for something and then list all my requests for the day. But prayer is, is 
earth shattering. It is nation moving. Prayer is significant for when we address God, worship God, thank God, pour out our request before God, even in prayer and fasting like this, it engages the forces of darkness and God works. God ordains our prayers to work through them. Here's the third encouragement. God hears prayer and responds. Earthly prayer affects the heavenly realm. And thirdly, God strengthens those weakened in spiritual battle. Those who are praying and fasting, mourning, uh, can draw encouragement from this example. Daniel is overwhelmed in this experience. He's overwhelmed by the holiness of God. He's overwhelmed by the glory of this being that uh, appears to him. And, and he is really taken down. He says in verse 15, he is mute by the experience. Uh, verse 16, he has no strength. He's unable to converse with the angel, but the angel touches him and strengthens him in verse 18. And we get all this detail because it shows us that God is compassionate to weary warriors, those who are battle weary. And Daniel is weary at every level. He's weary physically for he's been fasting for three weeks. He's weary emotionally because he is mourning for the state of his people. He's weary spiritually because he's been pouring his heart out in prayer, and now he's had this vision and experience of the holiness of God. But the angel tells him he's greatly loved. He tells him to be at peace. He tells him to be at good, of good courage. And Daniel said, you've strengthened me. We get verses, verses 15 through 19. We get multiple verses as well as previous verses. In verse 9, we find out he's knocked down asleep. We get all of these verses about the physical and emotional state of Daniel. Why? The, the Bible could have been written different. It could be saying Daniel was overwhelmed. One sentence. And then we could have gone on to the vision. But God gives us all this because it is a picture and a description of God's compassion to come and strengthen those who are weary, and particularly those who are spiritually weary in the battle. Well, this is some chapter, isn't it? And it, it, it can be challenging to apply a chapter like this. I mean, how do we apply a chapter, a curious chapter of angelic visions and angelic battles? Well, there's a couple of points I want to make, three uh, rather, to finish up of where I think we can make an application here. The first is that we must adopt a wartime mentality. That goes back to the beginning. What are your expectations of the Christian life? The Christian life is a battle, and we signed up for combat duty to battle daily the world, the flesh, and the devil, as the Scripture says. And Daniel 10 shows us that much of the battle takes place in prayer. Do you live with that kind of mentality that prayer is a battle that accomplishes? It's a struggle. Maybe you think, I struggle in my prayer life. Well, that's to be expected. It is a struggle, but it is something that God uses. Prayer is a means that God uses to accomplish his purposes on heaven and earth. He, he uses prayer to accomplish his purposes. Daniel has no perceivable, can, can see no perceivable results of his prayer. And yet God is working through his prayer, we find out. The reality is, because prayer is a battle, prayerlessness is like waving the white flag of surrender to the enemy. Prayerlessness is waving the white flag of surrender to the enemy. It's like going to bed at night with your doors unlocked, or maybe just rather not unlocked, but open an open invitation for someone to come in 
to your home and perhaps steal. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, the scripture says. Um, But we're guarded in Christ and we do battle with prayer. This study has revived my own heart for prayer and and it's been convicting to me because I realize that I can so easily give up in the battle. I can check out of the battle. When I pray for something or someone and nothing happens perceivably uh, to me, uh, then I can just quit. I can become discouraged. I can become lazy. I can just become forgetful. God's not doing anything and move on to something else. And yet this passage and the one before it has inspired me afresh to remember that the battle is a long-haul battle, and God wants to work. The story is not over for those we love and pray for, for the circumstances we pray for, for our own hearts that we pray for. The story is not over, and God is at work. So press in with a wartime mentality prepared for battle. Number two, we are to prepare for battle. Have a wartime mentality, prepare for battle. We have a very real enemy, and Daniel finds that out in a mind-blowing way. Who would have known that there was this principality or power called the, the, the prince of Persia that was resisting God's people? Everybody could see God's people being resisted on the ground as they sought to build the temple. But who knew behind that was a spiritual opposition? Well, Daniel found that out, and we find that out through this text as well. So we want to embrace a biblical understanding not only of the battle but of the enemy. We have a very real enemy. We don't want to overemphasize the enemy. We don't want to be looking for a demon behind every bush. Or in this case, with a passage like this, we don't want to get a whole theology of territorial spirits based on like one verse here, which sadly has happened. We don't want to say, well, well, there is this prince of Persia, and so here's how we engage him. Notice in the text, Daniel does not speak to a territorial spirit, the prince of Persia. Daniel does not cast down or pray against that spirit. Daniel prays to God. He doesn't even know that spirit exists while he's praying. Daniel prays to God, and in the background, God and his angelic powers are interacting in spiritual battle. So we don't want to overemphasize the devil at a micro level looking for demons with every temptation we experience, nor do we at a macro level want to begin to sort of identify certain powers over territories and address them verbally. That's not what happens in the Bible. We go to the Lord. We speak to him and trust him to do the spiritual battle. Now, while we don't want to overemphasize Satan, we don't want to underemphasize the power of evil as well. And that's probably, for most of us in this particular church, that's probably more our temptation. Most of us, maybe not all, but most of us can underemphasize the devil or demonic powers. And when we do that, we, we, the enemy is able to seduce us. We sort of buy into the Western worldview of materialism, which is the world is only what you can see and measure and ignores the biblical reality that there is a live, active, spiritual reality as well that we can't see. We don't want to be those who ignore the spiritual realities and act like functional unbelievers. We don't want to, uh, we don't want to uh, you know, miss the reality of the Holy Spirit who indwells us and fills us and acts in powerful ways. 
When evil and suffering and pain and injustice and all kinds of darkness are around us, it should lead us to pray. And when we pray about those things that we can see, we know that it engages, that God does his work engaging spiritual powers that we cannot see. So there's a mystery to all this, but we do want to be aware that there is a live spiritual battle going on. So we want to have a wartime mentality. We want to prepare for battle. And finally, we want to battle with confidence. And this is perhaps the most important thing of all. In the New Testament, in the book of Ephesians, we read a very interesting passage about uh, spiritual warfare. It's kind of the classic New Testament passage that clearly parallels in some ways Daniel 10. So in Ephesians 6 verse 10 it says, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Well that is what is describing, that is describing this individual, this character, the spiritual being rather, the prince of Persia. That's what it's talking about here. When he says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but a rulers, it's talking about spiritual rulers, spiritual authorities, cosmic powers uh, in this present evil age. So that's what he's talking about uh, in this passage. And he tells us to prepare for battle, to, be, to arm ourselves for battle. That's what he goes over next. And he says, the way you are to live in a way that resists and battles the forces of evil is you are to put on Christ. And he describes this as the whole armor of God. That is, we are to wear the person of Christ. We are to wear Christ's truth like a belt. We are to wear the breastplate of righteousness. What is that? That's put on the righteousness of Christ. Uh, it's not put on the breastplate of our own righteousness. It's not the breastplate of our goodness. We stand in Christ's righteousness to do battle. We walk in his shoes, the good news of peace. We are to walk and go wherever we go. We are to bring the peace of the good news of the cross and resurrection of Jesus. We're to be protected by the shield of faith, faith in Christ. We are to put on the helmet of salvation, Paul says. That is, we are to, we are to walk around, live our lives aware of God's salvation, that God's kingdom is coming even now, that his reign is extending, that he is bringing people under his lordship, that he is making all things new. And this is all occurring as the kingdom expands as a result of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we are to stand in Christ to do battle against these these principalities and powers. And then we are to pray. Verse 18, he says, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. So here he's saying we are to pray. Pray at all times. Pray for all kinds, all the saints. Pray with all types of prayer. And so Daniel demonstrates that prayer is the battle, and Paul says the exact same thing. Put on Christ and pray. Now, Paul knows something that Daniel didn't know, that Daniel could only imagine, that 
the battle is won. The New Testament teaches us that Jesus, who died in our place for our sins, won the battle. Now, when we talk about the work of Christ on the cross, we normally speak of it as an act of substitution. And that's primarily how the New Testament talks about it, that Jesus dies for us, that he takes our sins upon himself, that he bears our punishment, that he dies in our place so that when we believe in him, we receive forgiveness and new life. We're joined to him. But there's another picture in the New Testament as well of the work of Christ. And that is that his death on the cross defeats the powers of the evil one. So in Colossians 2, chapter 14, I'm sorry, 2, verse 14, we read, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. You see, it's saying that as Jesus died, he defeated the powers. He rendered them defeated and powerless. And while we still have this ongoing spiritual skirmish, they are defeated and the victory is sure in Jesus Christ. And once we are in Christ, no power can separate us from him. He defeated the powers and he protects us from the powers. Romans 8, for instance, says, in all these things we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, there it is, nor angels, nor rulers, there's Daniel 10, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, there's Daniel 10, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of Christ Jesus, our Lord. So Jesus defeats the powers. We can battle with confidence. We pray with confidence in Jesus' name because he's defeated the principalities and powers. The war is won, so we can pray big. We can pray with confidence. We can pray boldly. We can make bold requests for God to do great things because Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. There's the battle. Christ is building the church and he builds the church through his people. He extends the kingdom through his people as we put on Christ and as we pray in his name with his authority, trusting him to fulfill his will. Here's really the big idea of all this, that in light of Jesus's victory, we can pray big prayers because God uses prayer to shape the events of earth in ways that we can't even imagine. Prayer is far more significant than we know. Prayer accomplishes or God accomplishes through prayer. That'd be a better way to say it. God accomplishes through prayer much more than we ever know. And because of the battle, because it is won, because of the victory of Christ, we can pray big. Let me ask you, what big prayer have you quit praying in your life? Are you like me? Have you had some things that you were pouring your heart out to the Lord over at one time that have just sort of drifted away as you've seen little or no answer to your prayer? I believe God wants to encourage you to engage afresh. What big prayer are you afraid to pray? A prayer so big that it would upend your life, that it would move you out of your comfort zone, and it would push you into the fray in a way that maybe you're not comfortable, but you know God wants 
you to be about? What big prayer are you afraid to pray? What heart burden are you carrying that you could yield to the Lord in prayer? Where do you need God's encouragement in your weariness? He comes to encourage us in our weakness and strengthen us as Daniel shows us. Praying big, engaging in confidence for the battle is won. Having a wartime mentality, understanding the nature of our enemy, having the right expectation that the Christian life is an unceasing battle, a war that has been won, but an unceasing battle. This is what Daniel 10 speaks to us today. And I wanna encourage you as you go into your week to be looking to God with great expectation and praying big prayers. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth of this passage. We thank you that as we read in the New Testament that you've won the battle, that you've disarmed the principalities and powers and that you rule and reign. Thank you that you are a God who hears our prayers that responds to our cries for help, that things are occurring when we pray that we don't see, we don't perceive, that are well beyond us, but you are acting. Thank you that you are a God who is sovereign and chooses to use your people's prayer to accomplish your will. That's a mystery, but we thank you for it. And I pray for our church, everyone watching this, that you would give us fresh hope to re-engage the battle and to pray big prayers, to expect great things from you, our God. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Grace Church. To receive future messages, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or listen online by visiting our website at gracechurchfrisco.org.